Chapter Two of the Copper Princess. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Betsy Bush, April two thousand nine. The Copper Princess by Kirk Monroe. Chapter Two. Peveril ties Blackie's record. Are you the father of Tom Trefethen? asked Peveril of the man who had so abruptly introduced himself. "'Certain I be, lad, father to the young fool who, but for thee, would never have come home to us no more. His mother was that upset by thought of his danger that she couldn't let him leave her, and so bade me to come fetch you myself. Not that I needed a bidding, for I'm doubly proud of a chance to serve the man who's gid us back our Tom. So come along, lad.' to where there's a hearty welcome waiting, together with a bite and a bed. But, Mr. Trethefin, I can't allow you to— Man, you must allow me, for I'm no in the habit o' being crossed. Besides, I never dare go back to mother without you. This thy grip? With this, the brawny miner swung Peveril's bag to his shoulder, and started briskly down the station platform, followed closely by the young man— who, but a moment before, had believed himself to be without a friend. They had not gone more than a block from the station, and Peveril was wondering at the crowds of comfortable-looking folk who thronged the wooden sidewalks, as well as at the rows of brilliantly lighted shops, when his guide turned abruptly into the door of a saloon. Following curiously, the young man also entered, and passing behind a latticed screen, found himself in a long room having a sanded floor, and furnished with a glittering bar, tables, chairs, and several queer-looking machines, the nature of which he did not understand. Several men were leaning against the counter of the bar, but without noticing them other than by a general nod of recognition, Mark Trefethen walked to the far end of the room, where he deposited Peveril's bag on the floor beside one of the machines already mentioned. It was a narrow, upright frame, placed close to the wall, and holding a stout wooden panel. In the centre of this, at the height of a man's chest, was a stuffed leathern pad, on which was painted a grotesque face, evidently intended for that of a negro, and above it was a dial bearing numbers that ranged from one to three hundred. The single pointer on this dial indicated the number 173, a figure at which Mark Trefethen sniffed contemptuously. "'Let's see thee take a lick at Blackie, lad, just for luck,' he said." Although he had never before seen or even heard of such a machine as now confronted him, Peveril was sufficiently quick-witted to realize that his companion desired him to strike a blow with his fist at the grinning face, painted on the leathern pad, and he did so without hesitation. At the same time, as he had no idea of what resistance he should encounter, he struck out rather gingerly, and the dial-pointer sprang back to 156. Mark Trefethen looked at once incredulous and disappointed. "'Surely that's not thy best lick, lad,' he said in an aggrieved tone. "'Why, old as I am, I could better it myself.' Thus saying, the miner drew back a fist like a sledgehammer, and let drive a blow at Blackie that sent the pointer up to one eighty. "'Now, lad, try again,' he remarked, with a self-satisfied air. "'And remember what I should have told thee afore.' that the man who lets Pointer slip back owes beer to the crowd. Wondering how he should cancel the indebtedness thus innocently incurred, and also at the strangeness of such proceedings on the part of one who had just invited him to a much-longed-for supper, 
Peveril again stepped up and delivered a nervous blow against the unresisting leathern pad, driving the pointer to 184. The miner's shout of, "'Well done, lad! That's spunky!' attracted the idlers at the bar, and brought them to the scene of contest. They arrived just in time to see Trefethen deliver his second blow, the force of which drove the sensitive needle six points farther on, or until it registered 190. With a flush of pride on his strongly marked face, the old Cornishman exclaimed, "'There's a mark for thee, lad, but don't ye strike lest thee can better it, for I'd like it to stand for a while.' Peveril only smiled in answer, and taking a quick step forward, planted so vigorous a blow upon the painted leather that the pointer gained a single interval. So small were the spaces that at first it was thought not to have moved. But when a closer examination showed it to indicate 191, a murmur of approbation went up from the spectators. Mark Trefethen said not a word, but, throwing off his coat and bearing his corded arm for a mighty effort, he again took place before the machine. Carefully measuring his distance, he drew back and delivered a blow into which he threw the whole weight of his body. As though galvanized into action, the needle leaped up four points and registered 195. "'A record! A record!' shouted the spectators, while the miner turned a face beaming with triumph towards his athletic young antagonist. On many an occasion had he played at solitaire fisticuffs with that leathern dummy, but never before had he struck at such a mighty blow. And now he did not believe that another in all red jacket could equal the feat he had just performed. "'Let it stand, lad, let it stand,' he said good-humouredly, but in a tone unmistakably patronizing. "'You've done enough to take front rank, for not more than three men in all their jackets have ever beat your figure.' Besides, the beer is on the house now for a record, but twill be on any man who lowers yon, so best let well enough alone. This advice was tendered in all sincerity, and was doubtless very good, but Peveril was now too deeply interested in the novel contest to accept defeat without a further effort. Besides, the stroke oar of a winning crew in the great Oxford-Cambridge boat race, which is what Dick Peveril had been only two months earlier, was not accustomed to be beaten in athletic games. So he too threw off his coat, and bared the glorious right arm that had at once been the pride of his college and the envy of every other in the varsity. In breathless silence the little group of spectators watched his movements, and when, with sharply exhaled breath, he planted a crashing facer straight from the shoulder squarely upon the leathern disc, they sprang eagerly forward to note the result. For an instant they gazed at each other blankly, for the needle, though trembling violently, remained fixedly pointed at the figure 195. Then they realized what had happened. Mark Trefethen's score had been neither raised nor lowered, but had been duplicated. A double record had been established, and that in a single contest. Such a thing had never before happened in Red Jacket where trials of strength and skill similar to the one they had just witnessed were of frequent occurrence. As the amazing truth broke upon them, they raised a great shout of applause, and every man present pressed eagerly about the two champions with cordially extended hands. But Peveril and the old miner were already shaking hands with each other, for Mark Trefethen had been the first to appreciate the result of his opponent's blow, 
and had whirled around from his examination of the dial to seize the young man's hand in both of his. "'Now I believe it, lad,' he cried. "'Now I believe the story boy Tom told this night. I couldn't make it seem possible that you had lifted him, as he said, and so I wanted proof. Now I've got it, and now I know you for best man that's come to mines for many a year. Pray God, lad, that you and me'll never have a quarrel to settle with bare fists, for I'm free to say I'd rather meet any either two men in the jackets than the one behind the fist that struck yon blow. You will never meet him in a quarrel if I can help it, Mr. Trefethen, replied Peveril, flushing with gratified pride, for I can't imagine anything that would throw me into a greater funk than to face as an enemy the man who established the existing record on that machine. But now, don't you think we might adjourn to the supper of which you spoke a while since? I was never quite so famished in my life, and am nearly ready to drop with the exhaustion of hunger. "'Oh, Jimmy!' groaned one of the listening spectators. "'If he done what he did, on a empty stomach, he'd heaven help the man or the machine. He it's when he's full.' "'Step up for your beers, gentlemen,' cried the bartender at this moment. The house owes two rounds for the double record, and is proud to pay a debt so handsomely thrust upon it. This invitation was promptly accepted by the spectators of the recent contest, all of whom immediately lined up at the bar. Mark Trefethen stood with them, and when he noticed that Peveril held back, he called out heartily, "'Step up, lad, and don't be bashful. We're waiting to take a mug with thee.' "'I thank you all,' rejoined Peveril politely, "'but I believe I don't care to drink anything just now.' "'What? Not teetotal?' "'Not wholly,' replied the other with a laugh. "'But I long ago made it a rule not to take liquor in any form on an empty stomach.' "'Oh, it won't hurt you, and this time needn't count anyway,' said one of the men, whose features proclaimed him to be of Irish birth. "'I think it would hurt me,' replied Peveril, and if my rule could be broken at this time, of course it could at any other. So I believe I won't drink anything, thank you. You mame, you're a snob, and don't care to associate with working men, retorted the other. I mean nothing of the kind, but exactly what I said, that I don't propose to injure my health to gratify you or any other man. As for associating with working men, I am a working man myself." and have come to this place with the hope of finding a job in one of the mines. If I hadn't wanted to associate with working men, I shouldn't be here at this minute. "'Well, you can't associate with them in one thing, if not in all, Mr. Working Man,' rejoined the Irishman sneeringly, "'and so, if you won't drink with us, you can't become one of us.' "'That's right,' murmured several voices. "'Moreover,' continued the speaker, "'You don't look, talk, or act like a working man, "'and I'm willing to bet the price of these beers "'that you never earned a dollar by honest labor in your life.' "'If I didn't, that's no reason why I shouldn't.' "'But did you?' "'No, I never did.' "'I knew it from the first. exclaimed the other triumphantly. "'You're nothing but a d-d-' "'Shut up, Mike Connell. "'Don't ye dare say it,' shouted Mark Trefethen shaking a knotted fist in close proximity to the Irishman's face. "'How dare you insult the friend I've brought to this place? Lad's right about the liquor, too, and damned if I'll drink a drop of it myself. Same time, working man or no, 
He's worth any two of you with his fists, and I'll bait has more brains than the rest of us put together. So keep a civil tongue in your head in the presence of your betters, Mike Connell. Come, lad, time we were getting home. Mother'll be frettin' for us. Thus saying, the sturdy miner laid his toil-hardened hand on Peveril's shoulder and led him from the place. End of chapter 2